we are jumping into this new series in the book of Joel. And I want to start by helping us to think about a tragedy that happened recently around the world. In 2018, two cyclones hit a massive desert on the Arabian Peninsula and dumped a ton of water there. What that meant was that the locust population in that area multiplied by a factor of 8,000. Then there was a subsequent drought, which meant all those locusts had to find food, so they migrated south and east. And what that meant is that during that time, wave after wave of locusts ravaged Kenya, Ethiopia, Somalia, as well as Egypt, Saudi Arabia, Iran, Iraq. They even, some of them made it all the way to South America. And what happened is a massive devastation of food. In June 2020, NPR declared, locusts are a plague of biblical scope. A single swarm of locusts can eat enough food for 35,000 people in one day. A UN official said, the locusts are in your field for a morning, and by midday, there's hardly anything left in your field. It's just eaten. Here's a picture of a locust swarm from that time. Can you imagine a cloud of locusts like that coming into your village, coming into your fields, and destroying what you've worked for that entire year? That's what happened in East Africa. At the same time, 2020 came around and there was a massive global pandemic, you may remember, which meant that shipping and logistics and distribution was completely interrupted. So a region that had already extreme food insecurity had no food available for anyone. Some people estimate that over $9 billion of damage was done just by locusts. Now, most of us haven't experienced that kind of particular devastation, but we've all faced tragedy. We've all faced hard things in our lives. Maybe you've lost someone you love. Maybe layoffs mean that you're looking for work and you're uncertain what the future looks like. Maybe you've experienced abuse or violence or infidelity or trauma. Maybe you or someone you know is struggling with anxiety or depression or another mental health crisis. I don't know what all of you have gone through, but I know for a fact that all of us have experienced pain. All of us have gone through something difficult. And the problem is that when we get there, a lot of times we just don't know what to do with the hurt. We don't know how to process it. We don't know how to process it in community. We don't know how to process it with God. And so we end up struggling alone. As uh, Steve said, we're beginning a new series this morning for the season of Lent. And Lent is just the, the period of time leading up to Easter. And it's a, it's a great time of the year to just slow down a bit, be a little more reflective, and prepare ourselves for the crisis of the crucifixion that's followed by the celebration of the resurrection. So for this season, we're going to be looking at the book of Joel, which describes a tragedy in the life of ancient Israel, and then describes how God meets his people in the midst of that tragedy. 
We've been studying this book with several other pastors from Palo Alto and Mountain View. We're all studying it and teaching it to each other, and then we're preaching it in our respective churches. And several of them are joining for our prayer exercise that we'll tell you about in a minute as well. If you don't know where Joel is, don't feel bad. It took me a minute to find it. Uh, it's in the Old Testament. If you want to follow along in the Bibles in your pews, here's a little pro tip. It's on page 760. So you can just open up your Bibles, turn straight there and feel like, oh, I found Joel right away. I'm like a Bible scholar practically, right? So you can turn to Joel if you want. And this is a really unique book. It's, it's one of the, what we call minor prophets. It's one of the shorter books of the prophetic genre, probably written around fifth century BC. We don't know for sure. There's not a lot in it that dates the book. Um, but it's a book that's quoted a couple times in the New Testament. And we'll get to there when we arrive at that passage, but it's a really powerful picture of how God meets people and brings about a new work of hope. This is really important for us to deal with because a lot of us, um, when we enter something painful, we're not sure what to do. And so I don't know if you've ever had like a blister on your foot, but you know, it starts and it's just, it's just a little bit of a hot spot and you think, oh, it'll be fine. I'll just keep doing what I'm doing and it'll go away because that usually works, right? And so you keep doing, and then it gets a little worse and a little worse, and it gets bothersome, and, then, and you keep trying to ignore it and think it'll go away, and then it, and then it erupts. <laughs> and you can barely walk, because that thing that you thought would go away if you ignored it has festered and gotten worse. A lot of time, that's what happens with the pain in our life, is we try to ignore it, we try to press on, and we get to a place where we just can't. We can't go forward. The problem for a lot of people is they get to that place and they end up walking away from God. They leave the faith because they can't understand how God would allow them to experience something so painful. But other people do something different. Instead of walking away from God, they just kind of take that hurt and they put it in a bottle and they tuck it away deep in some crevice of their heart where it can't be affected. And they lock it there and they compartmentalize their life and they just keep on doing the normal things. They come to church, you serve, you lead, you do all the stuff, but there's that part of you that's being held back, that's locked away because you're just, you're afraid what might happen if you opened it up. So as we look through the book of Joel together as a community, this is going to be an invitation to go into that place, to open that bottle to engage with our pain in a different kind of way in hopes that God might meet us there. That on the other side of that pain, there might be life and freedom and healing. That's what happens in the book of Joel. And that's what we hope will happen for us as we study it together. This morning we'll be in the first chapter, which really dives into the devastation that these people have experienced. So we'll look at what happened. We'll look a little bit about what Joel says in terms of how to engage God amid the pain. And then we'll ask the question of what that means for us here today and how that might lead us in engaging with our own hurt. The book of Joel opens with this dramatic description of a tragedy that their community has recently experienced. I'll start by reading Joel 1 verses 1 through 4. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. Hear this, you elders. Give ear, all inhabitants of the land. Has such a thing happened in your days? 
or in the days of your fathers? Tell your children of it and let your children tell their children and their children to another generation. What the cutting locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. What the hopping locust left, the destroying locust has eaten. So we hear about this terrible devastation of locusts that happened for God's people in ancient Israel. We hear that Joel instructs the elders to tell four generations of people what has happened. This is a once in a century kind of event for God's people. That's the level of destruction that occurred. And what we read is that these locusts came and wiped away everything. Remember that locusts were, came because of a drought. And the cruelest thing is that God's people would have been in the midst of a drought. And on the horizon, they would have seen a dark cloud, which looked like it could have been rain. Perhaps the drought was over. But as that cloud got closer and closer, they realized it wasn't rain at all. It was a swarm of locusts. So the food that they did have, the fields that they did grow, were wiped clean. And we read about wave after wave of locusts. There's four different Hebrew words here. Scholars aren't exactly sure which insects these refer to, so they translate them with uh, cutting locust, swarming locust, hopping locust, destroying locust. The point is that four different waves of devastation rolled through. When we finish reading this uh, passage, we hear about everything being destroyed. Vines, figs, branches, fields, grain, oil, wheat, barley, pomegranates, palms, and apples. Everything that they could have grown was completely destroyed by the locusts. I don't know if you've ever been in the ocean and you've been playing in the waves and riding them up and down and then, and then a big wave comes and it knocks you over. And then you kind of try to get your feet and then another wave comes and it knocks you over. And now you're upside down and then another wave comes and you're tumbled around and, you, and you're scared because you realize, I can't get up because the things keep coming. That's what God's people experienced. Drought and then wave after wave of locust until everything that provided for them was gone. And I know that some of us have gone through similar things. That there have been times where we experienced one thing and then just as that seemed to let up another thing and then another thing and then a health crisis and then a relationship conflict and then we lose our jobs and then there's a global pandemic and then there's racial injustice and then there's political unrest and it seems like we can't even catch our breath because the crises keep stacking higher and higher and we don't even know where to begin to start digging ourselves out of the pain that consumes us. This is the place that God's people find themselves. And what Joel points out is that it's not just the present that's painful, but hope for the future seems to be gone. Listen to what he says in verses 16 to 17. Is not the food cut off before our eyes? Joy and gladness from the house of God? The seed shrivels under the clods. The storehouses are desolate. The granaries are torn down because the grain has dried up. 
Today is hard. The food is gone. But when there's no food, there's no seed for next season's crop. The storehouses are empty. There's nothing to get us through the winter. And we don't need the granaries because there's no grain to put in them. So not only are we going through something hard now, but we can't tell that it's ever going to get better. There's no hope for the future. We can't see a possible scenario where life gets easier. What's really struck me in studying this passage is how Joel instructs people to talk about it. He tells the elders, tell your children. He tells the priest to talk about it. He tells other people, describe in detail what's occurred. And that's curious to me because everybody knows what has happened. They've gone through it together. And yet Joel invites them to tell each other, to talk about their pain, to describe it to each other. Not so that they might know, but so that they might deal with it. See, I think when we get hit by these kinds of waves of crisis and destruction, our, our tendency is to withdraw. You know, you show up to church on Sunday morning and somebody says, good morning, how are you? And, and you feel like you might burst into tears just from a simple question. And so you don't know how to relate to anybody. You don't know how to talk about it. You don't know how to process it because it's so raw. And yet Joel says, tell people, tell the generations. Because moments like that become an opportunity to go deeper, to go underneath the surface, to deal with those things that often we don't deal with. The invitation is to go deeper. When the bottom drops out of our lives and we don't know what's next, we're actually in a very unique kind of place. There's a kind of openness, a kind of raw experience that we go through that means we're ready to ask different kinds of questions. Maybe we suffer a car accident and it, it causes us to reflect, why is it that I never feel safe in the world? Or we lose our job and we wonder, what is it about my need for control that makes me always so panicked? Or we're in a marriage where we feel like our needs aren't getting met and we're forced to think more deeply about what we think we need and what we actually need. See, pain in our life becomes an opportunity for us to slow down and stop and ask some of those hard questions that in other times we're just not willing to engage with. When tragedy strikes, go deeper. This is what Joel invites the people to. And then in the midst of that, he describes how not only does something happen inside your heart when tragedy strikes, but your relationship with God changes. Listen to what Joel says. This is verses 9 through 10. He says, The grain offering and the drink offering are cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests mourn the ministers of the Lord. The fields are destroyed. The ground mourns. Because the grain is destroyed, the wine dries up, the oil languishes. See, in the Old Testament, there was a prescribed way that you would worship God. 
That worship usually involved different sets of offerings. And you would bring these offerings, stuff that you had produced, the work of your hand, you would bring it before God and offer it to him. There were Thanksgiving offerings and offerings for repentance and offerings for petition. And some of them were wine. Some of them were grain. Some of them were oil. You would bring these things to God and offer them to him. But how do you worship when there's no grain? When you don't have any wine to bring? When there's no oil because the olives have all been eaten by locusts? What does your worship look like when you're empty-handed before God. You've got nothing to thank him for and nothing to praise comes to mind. The same is true for many of us. When tragedy strikes, we, we come to church and we have a lot of songs of thanksgiving and praise and, and glory and those are important and we can praise in the midst of pain. But how do you give thanks to God authentically when you're angry at him? when you're upset at what he's allowed to happen? How do you engage with other people when you feel so alone because of how hard your life is? Well, Joel has a suggestion for God's people that you start to relate to God differently. Listen to verses 13 and 14. He says, put on sackcloth and lament, O priests. Wail, O ministers of the altar. Go in, pass the night in sackcloth, O ministers of my God, because grain offering and drink offering are withheld from the house of your God. Consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. There's no grain, there's no wine, there's no oil, so you can't make an offering, but you can come together and Joel gives instructions for things to do in worship that require nothing. If you have nothing to give, then come and offer God your nothingness. How do you worship God when there's very little food? You fast. That's one thing you can do. How do you worship God when you don't feel like coming and thanking him? Well, you call a solemn assembly. And you come together and mourn. What strikes me is how countercultural this is. Because in our world, what we're often told is when you're having a bad day, hey, take a shower, get dressed up, go out to dinner, make yourself feel better, watch a funny movie, put a smile on it, pick yourself up. You can feel better if you just try. Joel says when tragedy strikes, make it worse. Take some sackcloth and wear it. It's really itchy. Sleep in it all night so you can't even get a good night's sleep. The very little food you have, don't eat it. Fast. And in that hunger, in that discomfort, you might encounter God in a new way. You might experience something you haven't felt before. We can use the last phrase that Joel gives as a kind of summary for all of these instructions. He says, come together, gather everybody, get in a room and cry out to God. Cry out to God. Now, let's be honest. Most of us don't do this. I think one reason is we feel like, 
well, maybe we go through hard things, but, but other people go through harder things. You know, there's people around the world suffering way more than us. So, so we don't have a right to cry out to God because our lives aren't as hard as others. That doesn't make sense. Your pain is real. And it is your pain, no matter what anybody else has experienced. I think another reason many of us don't want to cry out to God is that we just, we're not sure we'll make it out of that place. We're not sure if we go into the darkness, we'll ever emerge in light. We're worried that it'll drag us down, drag us under, and we'll never be able to see the light of day. But the Bible says that actually engaging in that pain is how we hear from God. Listen to 2 Chronicles 20, verse 9. If disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. See, it's when we cry out to God, when we come before him, that he hears us and he acts. But if we're never willing to do that, if we keep that hurt locked up in some place that nobody can access and never bring it before God, how can he hear us? How can he save? The scriptures are full of people crying out to God in their pain. I could read you, Dozens of passages. Here's just one. This is Psalm 88, verse 1. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. All day, all night. I'm crying out. I don't even know what I'm crying out because it hurts so much. All I can say is help. I will go so far as to say you can't mature in your faith if you don't engage your tragedy with God. If you keep that part of you locked up, you can't really experience God in the fullness of his love and healing and redemption. It looks like all hope is lost, but God invites us to go into that darkness with the confidence that there is something on the other side of that, something beautiful. This is really fresh for me. Um, been a hard season for different reasons last year or so. And um, about a month ago, I was on a run and I was just, I was in a dark place, was not, not feeling great. And I got to the top of this hill and it was, it was like violently windy. So nobody was up there, which is good because I, I just started screaming at God. I cried out to him and said, God, I can't do this. I'm not strong enough. I don't know how. God, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. And just laid myself bare because I was in that place of desperate need. That's what it looks like to cry out for God. And it's a scary place because we don't have the answers. There's no one, two, three steps to follow. You just have to trust him to go there and know that he'll take you out. Know that he'll meet you in it. I'm afraid there's no shortcut to this process. You can't squeeze this in between lunch and dinner and just kind of do this. You can't take an advanced course and say, well, couldn't I take a class about suffering and learn it that way instead of actually going through it? Couldn't I listen to more sermons about suffering? 
It doesn't work that way. This is something that God has to do within us that we have to walk through in order to engage with him. And I know that many of you have walked through really hard things. I've walked through many of them with you. I've wept with you. I've been in that place where we don't know what will happen. And you've been a testimony to me in your courage to trust God in the midst of that. And some of you may not have faced really dark tragedy, but here's one thing we can know. Here's a promise that I can give you, is that you will face pain, that tragedy happens. This world is broken. And I can't predict, I'm no prophet, I can't predict what form it will take, but I know for a fact that terrible things are coming. Maybe there's an ecological disaster. Maybe there's another pandemic. Maybe there's a political crisis. Maybe there's war on our doorstep. Maybe you lose someone you love. Maybe you face a health crisis. Maybe you lose your job. Maybe there's mental health problems. I don't know what form it's going to take for me or you or for our nation, but I know for a fact that because we live in a broken world, tragedy is coming. And the question for us as God's people is, how do we prepare for that? How do we prepare ourselves knowing for certain that we will walk through hard things so that when they come and the waves knock us over one after another after another, we have the skills and relationship with God to walk through it with him. That's the goal. How do we prepare ourselves to face the tragedy that's coming. When tragedy comes, we cry out to God. And so the question for us, what does that look like? What do we do? How can we grow ourselves in order to be ready? And that's what we're going to enter in on here because there are times when we face deep tragedy, deep crisis, but really every day there's something hard. Every day of your life, maybe it's a a little snub from a friend or, or work that you've done that wasn't given credit or a feeling of loneliness or you're feeling off or you were hoping to connect with somebody and it didn't quite happen. There's deep pain, but there's all this regular pain in our life. And all of that becomes an opportunity to learn how to process pain with God. Because if we are followers of Jesus, if we know Christ, then we grieve differently. That's what we see in the New Testament. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. This is 1 Thessalonians 4.13. He says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. See, because of Christ, because Christ died and rose again, because of what the gospel is, the fact that God intervened in the world and took the greatest tragedy to make it into the greatest gift of salvation, because we know that, when we grieve, even in the darkest of times, our grief is infused with hope. It may be dim. We may not even be aware of it. But the hope is there. That's what we can know for certain. That our grief is temporary because one day Christ will return. One day full redemption will occur. One day God will win and pain and suffering will be no more. Temporary might mean decades, 
but it will not last forever. There is ultimate hope. It's like watching a game where you know that your team is going to win in the end. And I hesitate to use that example because for many of us, our team did not win in the end. So if you want to grieve with that, I would love to grieve with you that. <laughs> Very painful. But imagine that you did know your team was going to win and you watched the game and you saw the ups and downs and you were frustrated at the bad plays and excited by the good plays. But all of it had a different kind of character because you knew how it turned out. That's what grief is like as a Christian. We don't have to worry that we will be overcome by our pain. We don't have to fear that we will drown in it because we know that Christ has won. Grieving as a Christian is like swimming with a life jacket. You know you won't drown. So the invitation for us is to lament in Christ. To lament in Christ. And this morning, we're not just going to do that, talk about it. We're actually going to do it. We're actually going to practice lamenting together. So imagine if I got up here and I gave you a clinic in how to shoot a basketball free throw. And I said, this is how you hold your feet. And this is how you bend your knees. And you, and you hold the ball like this. And you extend your elbows. This is what you do with your wrist. And you, you eyeball the shot. And I told you every detail of how to throw a free throw would you be able to walk out of this room and throw a perfect free throw? No. The same is true in our spiritual lives. You can't just hear about relating to God. You have to do it. You have to practice it. And over time, as we practice, we develop skills. We deepen that relationship. And so we have access to more resources of what it looks like to walk with God. So this morning, we're kicking off an invitation to do 30 days of prayer during the season of Lent. That's every weekday for the next six weeks, we're inviting you to pray a simple prayer of lament as a way to engage some of the pain in your life. We'll all be doing this together, and as I said, some of the other churches will be doing it as well. To help you with that, we've prepared this prayer card that just outlines a very simple progression of prayer that you can use to lament. This is a common progression. You find it all throughout the Psalms. And the idea is that you can do this in one to two minutes, or you could reflect on this and it could take 30 minutes or an hour. But first, you just grieve something. You, you express the pain of something that's hard in your life. The next step then is to offer that up to God, to put it in his hands and trust him with it, and the final step is just to express the hope that you know that God will finally redeem. That could be one to two minutes. You could just say, God, I feel lonely a lot. And I want to put that in your hands and trust you with it. And I know that ultimately you are my companion and you walk with me. And that could be it. This prayer card has verses from Joel as well that walk you through some of the story of Joel. And I love when I pray things like this to pray through the text, to use these words from the text as an invitation to access some of those places in my heart that are harder to get to. There's also on the back some checkboxes. I'm a checkbox task list person. So if you like checkboxes, you can check it off day by day. There's also categories each week so that you can kind of focus your prayers. The first week, pray prayers of lament around your family and then around your vocation, around your friends. You can do that. Um, as Steve said, also, we're going to be 
gathering together once a week on Wednesdays, where there's an invitation to fast Wednesdays by skipping lunch if you'd like to do that. And then you can join us online at 12 p.m. for an Instagram live prayer time or in person here at the church in the study. We'll just pray together for 30 minutes, uh, kind of just general prayer together. So there's an invitation to join us in that way. And finally, we want to uh, experience what prayer looks like together as a lament. So kudos to the creative team. They've worked really hard to, to create some things to help us do this. And they've repurposed our prayer wall over here. And we're going to begin that this morning as a way to invite us into this beginning experience of lament. We often bridge from the sermon into a song. And we often try to pick a song that kind of develops the themes or highlights, echoes some of the things that were talked about in the sermon. So we'll be doing the same thing this morning uh, with a bit of a twist. There aren't a lot of worship songs that talk about lament. Most of the worship songs out there are happy, they're praises, they're thanksgiving. But we found a song, a, a newer song that, that really expresses well some of the themes we've been talking about and some of the ideas. The chorus says, God, I feel you breaking me down. One of the verses reads, they say that you will bless me, but I have experienced you in the nothing. And that's what often happens. That when we're in that place where we have nothing, we experience God in the nothing in a new kind of way. So we're going to transition into a time of worshipful lament as a community together. What that's going to look like is that the worship team will come up. They're going to sing this song. It's a little bit of a different style for us than what we do normally. If you'd like to join along, you can. But also we're going to invite you, and this is a little uncomfortable, but I think we're going to be up for it, to get up out of your seats if you'd like, to walk over to the prayer wall and to just write a word of prayer. It could be a grief. It could be an offering. It could be hope. Whatever you feel like. Um, and again, this is different for us. This is different for us as a community, but that's part of the purpose of lament is to lean into the discomfort, to experience it, and to see what God does from that. If there's nothing personally you have to lament, there's plenty in the world, in our nation, in our region. There's plenty of pain to offer to God. We started off this morning thinking about a tragedy in East Africa that happened several years ago. Then we jumped all the way back to ancient Israel and thought about a tragedy that happened there. And we've been talking all throughout about the tragedies that we live through each day and each season of our lives. But we know that because of the gospel, because of Jesus Christ, there is hope. That is the foundation of what it means to be a Christian, that we believe that Jesus Christ died and in the middle of the darkest moment on history, God intervened to raise him from the dead so that when we put our faith in Christ, we can know confidently that whatever death we walk through, there is life on the other side. That's the promise of the gospel. That's what allows us to grieve because we do not grieve as people who have no hope. We grieve in Christ. So PBC, let's, let's uh, bring our pain to God together and let's learn to lament as a community. Let me pray for us. 
Father, uh, there are so many hard things going on in our lives, in the world, in our nation, in our neighborhoods. There's so much hurt in this room. Sometimes it seems like we're just going to be overwhelmed by all the pain that we have to carry or that other people are walking through. But we know that with faith in Christ, with faith in your ultimate work of redemption, we can face that pain with hope, with confidence, with trust, knowing that you save. Thank you, God, for that truth. Help us have the courage to unlock those hurts that we've tucked away in a safe place so that we can process them with you, with each other, and ultimately that we can work towards healing and redemption. Thank you that we can trust you with that. We lift all of this up and we pray it in the name of Jesus Christ who conquered death. Amen.